This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Reed Pence. This week, knee replacements. Patients can be miserable when they don't work, but how often is that? It's actually a highly effective procedure for 80% of people, and I think that's sort of the glass half full side of the story. The pros and cons of getting a new knee when Radio Health Journal returns. I'm Nancy Benson, host of Radio Health Journal. If you enjoy Radio Health Journal, you'll also like our sister show. Here's a preview of what they're covering on Viewpoints this week. This week on Viewpoints. He was showing signs that he was in danger, but he wasn't showing them consistently to the same person. So it was as if everybody had a little piece of a puzzle. An important lesson to learn in the tragedy of Columbine. Then... Good to give kids chores important to give them that responsibility so they feel like they're being part of the family, a team player, and not just getting money for it. Advice on talking to children about money. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in-depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. Listen to Viewpoints on your favorite radio station, iTunes and Stitcher. Millions of people in the United States are hobbled by arthritic knees, and increasingly they're looking to knee replacement surgery to fix it. This year, more than 700,000 Americans will have a knee joint resurfaced with cobalt, chromium, titanium, and plastic. That's more than double the count from 20 years ago. And there are plenty of reasons, according to Dr. Dan Riddle, professor of physical therapy, orthopedic surgery, and rheumatology at Virginia Commonwealth University. Some of the driving factors relate to the fact that the population generally is getting older. Some of the driving factors relate to the fact that obesity is on the rise, and obesity certainly is highly associated with the development of knee osteoarthritis, highly associated with being inactive, and all these factors play into a high prevalence of osteoarthritis of the knee, much more so than decades ago. Patients' expectations for the quality of life they have as they get older certainly have changed even in my lifetime of practicing medicine. So a person who may have felt they didn't really want the replacement as they got older, they were doing fine, may very well now feel that they would like to have the replacement, that they you know, want a better quality of life. That's Dr. James Rickert, president of the Society for Patient-Centered Orthopedics. Also, and equally important, is as the technology has improved, we do do them on younger people. And so there is this bolus of baby boomers coming through who have been active in their lives. There is arthritis in their knees, and uh, we can address that with a replacement. And we can do that in younger people with the expectation that the replacement will last a long time. However, the success rate for knee replacements is not 100%. Up to a third of people who've gotten a knee replacement still have some chronic pain. And a new study in the journal BMJ finds that about one in five patients are unhappy with their results. Some people are surprised that the numbers are that high. But Riddle says they're actually pretty good. It's actually a highly effective procedure for 80% of people. And I think that's sort of the glass half full side of the story. That's an estimate that's actually pretty high compared to a lot of other treatments that are done and, you know, surgery or otherwise, that an 80% success rate is actually 
quite substantial. And when we talk about an 80% success rate, we're talking about, on average, patients who have very substantial pain reductions, very substantial improvements in self-reported function. So the success is true success. But Rickert says it's important for patients to realize that there are times when it doesn't go right and that it takes some work to lessen those chances. Still, many of those who expected better can be bitterly disappointed. The biggest reason patients are dissatisfied with the procedure is continued pain or unmet expectations. So if a patient's not properly selected and equally important, has an appropriate conversation as they're planning to have the replacement, you know, as they're failing conservative care, for instance, you know, so the procedure is performed, then they're going to be dissatisfied. The key is figuring out who's likely to fail before the procedure is even attempted. Riddle says doctors have gotten a lot better at that. We can predict, not with 100% certainty, but predict with a fairly substantial degree of success who's at risk for not doing very well in either pain or function realms. And the predictors typically relate to either levels of psychological distress that are very high, and this typically relates to either very high anxiety disorder or very high levels of major depression, and also very high levels of what we describe as pain catastrophizing, which is this construct that relates to a person's inability to really cope in their daily lives with pain. They tend to be overwhelmed by the thought of pain, tend to be very limited because of the fear for uh, whatever they might be doing increasing their pain. People who are younger and who have less severe arthritis are also candidates for a less than satisfactory result. Oftentimes those are people that might somaticize depression or other things like that, and then they have this feeling that this replacement's going to take away all of their pain, but, you know, the arthritis really wasn't that bad, and so there, it becomes more problematic that that's what's causing all of their symptoms. Some people seek knee replacement when perhaps it's too early and they're not necessarily good candidates, and the way we can identify those people is those are people who have very mild osteoarthritis, those are people who have, on the spectrum of pain with activity, very reasonably low levels of pain with activity or very high functioning. And these are people who, if they have a knee replacement, even if it's a successful surgery on the face of it, may only have very mild pain relief or very mild improvements in activity. And one may question whether all the risk and all the cost associated with knee replacement is worth a few points improvement on a pain scale. All of that suggests that patient selection is extremely important if we hope to improve outcomes in knee replacements. Riddle's study of hundreds of knee recipients shows that only 44% met criteria for an appropriate recipient. 22% were inconclusive, and about 34% received a new knee inappropriately. So how do we select patients better? First, Riddle says, we need more thorough psychological screening. I think that's an area where we can improve. The usage of very brief but validated instruments, for example, identify people in a screening format 
who have very high levels of depression or very high levels of anxiety disorder aren't routinely used in clinical practice. And the more standard use of these kinds of instruments, I think, could potentially help to reduce that 20% sum if they were used more frequently and if the surgeon then referred the patient to a psychologist or their family doctor for treatment of a mental health disorder if one is present. Secondly, Rickard says, surgeons need to be a little less ready to do knee replacements on younger patients whose x-rays don't show truly severe disease. I would try to dissuade people younger than 50 personally. A good replacement, you can tell somebody, will last about 20 years. Now, Equally important, younger people typically are more active, and there is a life cycle to these things, and if you're much more active than average, the average user, it is going to wear out quicker. So if you look at both the increased activity of younger people and the fact that they do have longer, they have to live with it, so there's greater risk of revision when they get older, it is better in younger people to put it off live with conservative management. There's no hard and fast rule, but my personal preference is anybody less than 50, I really do try to work with them with conservative treatment. In reality, all patients who might be candidates for knee replacement should go through more conservative treatment first. Often, insurance requires it before a replacement. And for patients who might be likely to fail with surgery, those therapies may eliminate the need for a replacement for years. All patients go through some form of conservative care, whether it be pharmacologic, whether it be physical therapy, whether it be weight loss, whether it be intervention with a pain psychologist or clinical psychologist to help with psychological distress that may impede progress. So these are all options to try. We do know that weight loss, particularly when it's on the order of 5 to 10% of body weight or more, can have a substantial benefit and improvement in knee pain and certainly just generally increasing activity. A lot of patients who have moderate to severe knee pain, particularly on a chronic way, are very inactive. And so activity in and of itself can be therapeutic for these patients. And this can involve visits with a physical therapist to begin an exercise program, to begin a general activity, aerobic activity program, to try to enhance their physical fitness, which can have secondary benefits, not only in pain control, but also mental health. There's many things that can stave off a replacement for a while. The first is getting back in shape, losing those extra pounds. For every pound you lose, you take seven pounds off of your knee as it functions. So there's many things to do as in terms of medications, injections, exercises, physical therapy, braces, and those sort of things. And when those things fail, no matter what age you are, then you're a knee replacement candidate. And I've done patients as young as 16, as old as 103. That's Dr. Richard Berger, assistant professor of orthopedics at Rush University Medical Center. He says that one more way to be assured of a good result is to find a surgeon who's well-practiced at the procedure. More than half of the knee replacements done in the United States are done by surgeons that do less than 50 a year. That's less than one a week. It's hard to get good at doing anything. You're doing only one hour a week. I do about a thousand knee replacements a year. I've been doing that for a couple decades now. Surgeons who do a high volume of knee replacement have better outcomes than surgeons who do knee replacements rarely. 
And this probably most frequently applies to patients living in rural areas where the general orthopedic surgeon may do a knee arthroplasty once a, every two weeks or once a month. And those are the patients that generally tend to be at risk for poor outcomes simply because the surgeon doesn't have as much practice at doing the procedure, isn't as efficient at doing the procedure, isn't doing the procedure in a hospital that does a high volume of arthroplasty and is very good at the hospitalization care for these kinds of patients. That's one area that I would encourage patients to seek out high-volume surgeons doing surgeries in high-volume arthroplasty hospitals over the rural hospital where the patient or where the surgeon rarely does arthroplasty or the hospital rarely sees patients with this procedure. The discomfort and lengthy recovery of a knee replacement, even a successful one, are factors that scare away some patients. Berger says some patients who could get tremendous relief never go through a surgery because they can't spare the recovery time off their job. But now about 10% of knee replacements are done in a less invasive way pioneered by Berger. He says it's much easier on the body. It is so much easier. In fact, it is so easy that we now do outpatient knee replacement. That is, patients come in, have their surgery, and go home within a couple of hours. Berger says it's not an easy procedure technically. Tendons and ligaments are in the way if you're trying to reach the deep recesses of the knee. Up to now, there's been only one way around that. If you do it by cutting the muscles, ligaments, and tendons, you have a long, slow, unfortunately painful recovery that actually doesn't fully recover because those muscles, ligaments, and tendons heal with scar tissue, and it never quite functions the same. So you're talking about a three- to six-month recovery, and even that doesn't get you all the way back. If you do it this new way, the recovery is remarkably quick. My patients get back 90% of their full function in four or five weeks. They're back to their job and back driving in about a week. They're back playing golf in two weeks, doubles tennis in four weeks, and singles tennis in six weeks. So they have a very quick recovery. They do very little physical therapy because we haven't damaged much to put the knee in. So not only is it easier and quicker, but they get a much better long-term function of their knee, much more back to normal the knee that they had when they were younger. However, Berger says only about 10% of knee replacements nationwide are done in this less invasive way. But either procedure, he says, is worth having for the qualified recipient and the right surgeon. You can find out more about all of our guests through links on our website, RadioHealthJournal.net. I'm Reed Pence. The burden of Alzheimer's disease on the nation's families and economy is growing rapidly. The Alzheimer's Association 2019 Alzheimer's Disease Facts and Figures Report finds that an estimated 5.8 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's dementia, and one in three seniors will die from it. More than 16 million Americans are caring for a person with the disease. Dr. Keith Fargo is Director of Scientific Programs and Outreach at the Alzheimer's Association. Alzheimer's is now the sixth leading cause of death in the U.S. And by 2050, the number of Americans with Alzheimer's is going to climb to almost 14 million. This burden to the country and to families is unsustainable, and it's critical that we continue to invest in Alzheimer's research to reverse this trend. Fargo says in 2019, Alzheimer's disease will cost the country $290 billion. And without scientific advancements, that figure will top $1 trillion by mid-century. 
Learn more about the impact of Alzheimer's disease at ALZ.org. A message from Alnylam Pharmaceuticals. March is Amyloidosis Awareness Month, aimed at educating people about a group of rare diseases that occur when a substance called amyloid builds up in the organs. One type, hereditary ATTR amyloidosis, can cause a wide range of symptoms, numbness and tingling in hands and feet, burning pain, dizziness, shortness of breath, and digestive issues. The condition runs in some families, but many struggle for years to get diagnosed. Genetic counselor Emily Brown has more. Genetic testing and counseling can help you make informed decisions about your health. By identifying your risk for hereditary ATTR amyloidosis sooner, and by sharing information about support resources. Alnylam sponsors third-party genetic testing and counseling at no charge for people who may carry a gene mutation associated with hereditary ATTR amyloidosis. For more information, visit alnylamact.com. That's A-L-N-Y-L-A-M act.com. About three-quarters of people know their physical health is important to work performance. But according to a Cigna survey, even more people, 87%, say their emotional health is critical to their professional success. But do we act on it? Here's Dr. Peter McCauley, medical officer for Cigna. We need to do better at embracing whole-person health. For example, most people, 83%, know about preventive care, yet only half take advantage of the annual checkups their insurance plans provide and the opportunity to talk to their doctors about how they're feeling, both physically and emotionally. Many factors, including diet, exercise, and sleep, contribute to good physical health and emotional well-being. Dr. McCauley says your health plan's programs can also help. We encourage people to take advantage of their health plan. Most offer resources like health coaching and mobile apps. Also, check if your company offers employee assistance programs for stress or other issues to improve your health, body, and mind. For more information, visit Cigna.com slash take control. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTracks Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at RadioHealthJournal.net.